Just from Rick Brady and admissions, I had to search the entire campus to find a, an equally gaudy tie. <laughs> of course, we would find it in admissions. <laughs> All right, take, take this blue sheet. As we, um, there are a couple of things I just want to mention to you. As you're pulling that out, I want to explain that to you. Um, Wednesday night, remind you that the men, the men will be playing Azusa here in our gym. So you want to make that, uh, mark that down in the midst of all your studies to take time out to be here. Let me, let me just explain to you. As you know, our Bible conference is coming up, our annual Bible conference. Uh, after registration, we will launch immediately into our, our Bible conference, and it is going to be a great time if you're, uh, if you're a new student and obviously have not been a part of one of our Bible conferences, maybe you need to ask some of the uh, continuing students. It's just a, a marvelous way to start the semester spiritually and, and in fellowship. It's just one of those times, it's almost like a retreat because we don't have a lot of distractions. We can really spend a, a focused amount of time, a lengthy amount of time in the Word and, and in meditation and prayer. And so it's going to be a great time. Um, Alistair Begg will be here among others. And so it's going to... I'm sure that each of these speakers will just uh, be a great challenge from the Word of God. Uh, Steve Camp will be concluding the conference with a concert on Saturday night, and uh, he's, he's excited about being here as well. Now, what we're going to do on Tuesday night, registration is over for new students for second semester and also for you continuing students, and we kind of conclude all of that in the middle of the afternoon somewhere, and so we thought, why don't we do something fun Tuesday night? Um, as a college family to kick this thing off. And this is what this explains. We're going to do our first annual New Year celebration. As you can see there, it's an evening fun fellowship to celebrate the new college year. Um, we're going to start with a welcome back dinner. We're going to have a steak dinner up in the dining center. Uh, Bob is uh, preparing a wonderful meal for us there. And then from there, as you can see, we're going to come to the, to the gym here. And we're going to have a variety of activities going on. Uh, Several different uh, faculty, staff, basketball teams that we're putting together uh, that are going to be competing against one another in, a, in, I think, a series of three different games. But in between those games, uh, we're going to have some contests. As you can see, we have some pretty exciting prizes. Um, so we're going to have one, one exciting thing, probably even more exciting maybe than the tuition, is that one of the things that you can win is your own personal parking spot with your name on it. I mean, we're going to put it... Anywhere on the campus that you want it, if you want, you can't move John out of his slot, but if you, <laughs> but we'll do the next best thing. We'll put you right next to him if you'd like to, so that he knows for every dent on his driver's side door who, who to look up. If you want it there, we don't care where you want it. Uh, is, other than a handicapped spot and John MacArthur, not that there's any connection there, but it, 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 between, <laughs> really scoring this morning. Okay. Other than those two, and obviously any other equally illegal place for you to park your car, a red curve or something like that, we can't do that. But other than that, we'll personalize your parking spot. Put it anywhere you want it on the campus other than those little bit of restriction. We're going to put your name right on reserve four in your name. Okay. And it'll be yours for the entire second semester. No one else can park in it. And this campus safety will be instructed to faithfully ticket, tow, or whatever. Anyone who gets in your spot. And you just, you just dare John to park in your slot. Okay. 
we're also going to, and you say, well, how are we going to win that? Well, what we're going to do, I think with that one, um, we're, we're going to have a little game of, of just the old horse, right? I mean, just kind of around the, around the world type of thing, contest in between the game. And if you win that, we're going to pick your name from a, a hat, the proverbial hat. And if you're the winner of that, then you're going to, you're going to be able to have your parking spot. But the other one that's sort of, um, sort of intriguing that is on here is the full tuition for the spring. And that is not a, a typo. Full tuition for spring semester. And you say, well, how can you do that? Well, <laughs> we're not really sure how we're going to do it budget-wise if you do do it. Um, we have already contacted Lloyds of London to insure ourselves against you if you were to win this. But we're going to select names out of the hat. Um, I was sitting home a few weeks ago and when watching the news. And uh, a college, uh, you probably heard about this, did this in the Midwest. And the guy actually st stood out there at half court and made it and won full tuition uh, for making this half-court shot. And so for the guys, it's going to be, we're going to select a name, and if it happens to be a guy, it's going to be a half-court shot. If it's a girl, we're going to have something equally as challenging, but not quite as equal to the uh, half-court shot. So, so you need to be here. It's going to be a great time, um, and you want to have the opportunity to, uh, for that parking spot, free tuition, and also we got sweatshirts, CDs, books, and all kinds of other things that, um, that we're going to give out as prizes. It'll be a fun time. But we're going to end the evening. John's going to be here. Uh, I have John down on the sheet here that he actually, I think I put down that he, uh, as a referee, John saw that and was sort of offended and wants to play. Um, and so he will probably be refereeing and playing as well. Um, and it'll be a fun evening. Then we're going to conclude the evening. John's going to conclude the time with a... Uh, a time from the Word of God, and we're going to share in song and prayer and just got a mixture of, of fun and, and uh, fellowship and the food and then a focused conclusion on the Word of God and, and singing and prayer ought to be a great way to start the semester. So be here. You don't want to miss it, and that'll be a great way to introduce our annual Bible conference. Now this morning, what we're going to end up uh, finishing on is uh, we're, we have put mics here and John did a Q&A that obviously ends up focusing itself on theological questions, which is, uh, which is what he's all about and which is what we uh, planned those Q&As uh, for. But as you know, we took a survey, a comprehensive survey in Chapel some weeks ago, and several of you uh, made comments that you would like to be able to see us respond to some of the things that you put on here. And I thought that was fair. Um, there were some great questions, some great observations. And we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to, to uh, ask those questions, not to make a statement, but to ask a question. Um, and the only restrictions upon you are biblical propriety and civility. Uh, just as long as you can stay within the, those parameters, we want to be able to address that. And if I have an answer for you, I'll let you know. If I don't, um, I'll just tell you, and we'll try to figure out where to find the answer. We believe that we ought to be able to have an answer, a solid biblical answer for everything we do, and if we don't have an answer, then we believe we should. Um, and we're not afraid of being questioned and being called to that accountability. So we want to give you a chance for that. But before we do that, I want to kind of set a framework a little bit by having you turn, first of all, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Before we get to the Q&A and you ask your questions, Romans 12. Very familiar passage. I'm reading it from the NIV. Now about... Um, Oops, I'm, I guess I better be in the right book. Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, 
In view of God's mercy, of course, a very clear reference to what he has just discussed through chapters 1 through 11. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, which is really where I want to address my thoughts for just a moment. Uh, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In this verse, it is very clear that Paul is telling the believers in Rome, and by inspiration and preservation of the Word of God, you and me, that there is a battle that's going on. It's very, very implicit and as well as explicit in this text and through the entire book of Romans. There is spiritual warfare that we're facing. And the goal of that battle for both sides is the control of your life and my life. That is the goal. Satan wants control of your life. God wants control of your life. And the arena of that warfare, Paul makes very clear in this passage, is the battlefield of the what? The mind. The war is being fought on the, in the arena of ideas. That is what life is all about. That's where it starts, is that Satan wants control of your mind. God wants control of your mind. And from that control, Satan and God both know that they will see us either act as a servant of Satan or a servant of God. It's a very clear teaching that we have here. And what we don't want to do, Paul says, is to give in to the prevailing doctrine of the dominant culture of our day. That's what he's telling the Roman. There is a prevailing doctrine of life or understanding or life and worldview, if you wish, of your day, the day that you live in. It is somewhat different in its manifestation in that day than this day, but it is no different in reality. There is a prevailing, dominant view of life that you and I live and breathe and move in and out among. And it is that prevailing view of life that Paul is telling the Romans and us to not be conformed to. As you are probably familiar with, the Phillips translation is very often quoted on this passage. Don't let the world press you into its mold, is what Paul is saying. And that mold is a mold that reflects the thinking of the world. Rather than doing that, he says, be transformed. Be utterly different. Stand outside of the dominant culture that you find yourself living in. That is what Paul is saying to them. Now, the dominant culture of our day, there's a lot of ways to analyze it. And and over the last several years, I've read a lot of books that have attempted, some, some sort of successfully and some not successfully at all, in analyzing our dominant culture. And let me just suggest to you a word that I think really reflects just about everything that you and I face in our culture. And it's the word consumerism. That really defines the world that you and I live in. Consumerism. And it is certainly true of the period of the calendar that we're finding ourselves living in right now as we approach Christmas. Consumerism. Now let me give you a definition that I'm going to read to you of consumerism. What is consumerism? It's a definition I picked up from an encyclopedia on sociology this, this morning. So, consumerism is an orientation toward using rather than producing. A belief that comfort is the highest good in life. That's consumerism. Let me read to you one more time. It is an orientation toward using rather than producing. A belief that comfort is the highest good in life. And I'm suggesting that that is the prevailing doctrine of our dominant culture, consumerism. Now, before you, in your own mind, start arguing with me, let me distinguish consumerism as an ism from just being a good consumer. Uh, I think that we all have the responsibility to be good consumers. By that, I mean that we get 
the, the most for our dollar. When I go to the store, I hope to go with a coupon or I hope to go where there's a sale. I want to be able to be faithful to the resources and the money that God has given, given to me and to my family. And I want to get as much as I possibly can with that and with those resources. I want to be a good steward, in other words. Well, all of us should be good consumers in that sense. But consumerism is to take the concept of value, the least amount of cost and the greatest amount of gain, and apply that as a worldview to all of life. While it's okay to approach buying coffee that way, it's not okay as a worldview. You understand what I'm saying? To be a consumerist when it comes to everything and all the important decisions and all the things that you do and don't do in your life. In other words, as you approach joining a church, as you approach what you're going to do for your summer, as you approach organizing your week, if you are controlled by the doctrines of consumerism, what you're doing is you're saying, what is it that I can contribute the least amount to and what can I get the most out of? In other words, if you're a victim of consumerism when it comes to missions conference, what you're going to do is you're going to evaluate the list of trips and you're going to say, what's going to take the least amount of my life in time and money and effort and what am I going to get the most out of? What's going to make me give me the most pleasure and what am I going to get the most enjoyment out of? That's consumerism. It is approaching every decision through the worldview of value. Do you understand that? It's not being a good steward. It's being dominated by this thought that the highest good in life is to give out as little as possible and to get in as much as possible. That's consumerism. And that's the, that dominates our culture that you and I live in today. And I would suggest that rather than being consumer victims of consumerism, what Paul is calling us to do is to be transformed, to be other than our culture, to stand outside the dominant culture in the day that you live. And let me give you three words that I believe describes what we should be rather than being victims of consumerism or agents of consumerism. Let me just give them to you very quickly. Here are the three things I believe would characterize us if our minds are transformed. We should be servants, disciples, and strangers. That would characterize our lives if indeed our minds are being transformed by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the person of Jesus Christ. We would not be consumerists in evaluating every decision by what we don't give and what we get out, but we would be servants. We would live a life that would reflect Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Christ says, I did not come, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to spend my life on the welfare, the real needs of others, not to spend my life on their perceived needs or their felt needs, but their real needs, their eternal needs. I am here to spend, be spent on that. That's what a servant is all about. And that's what Christ calls you and me to. He calls us to be a servant. A servant of Jesus Christ. To be an instrument in his hand to meet the real needs, to advance the real eternal needs of those around us. The other is the word disciple. And not only are we to be instruments as servants, but we're to be instruments in a very, very particular way. Servants as an instrument in the lives of people. We're not to be servants by taking the Word of God and going and finding ourselves in a cave and living out our lives there. We are to find ourselves in community and in fellowship. We are to spend our lives in a very specific way, the Bible tells us, and that is on people. We are to be involved in the life-on-life -life process of transforming people into the more likeness of Jesus Christ and thereby extending and expanding the kingdom of God. We are to be disciples. And in Ephesians chapter 4, among other places, 
Paul makes it very clear that the body will grow and will be built up as each member is faithful to do its work within the body and to be an instrument of God's ministry of change in other people's lives. We're to be disciples. We're to be servants, but in a very relational way. That's why God called us into his kingdom, to be a servant, serving people. And lastly, to be a stranger. We're to be strangers. Uh, there's, a, there's a great passage that you're very familiar with about Moses in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value, interesting statement, than the treasures of Egypt. Because he, why? Why did he make that decision? Because he was looking toward his reward. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is making it very clear that Peter's or Moses' world and the object of Moses' desires and passion was not this world and the things of this world. In, the, in our terminology, Moses refused to be a good consumer and take advantage of the culture that he lived in. He had another world that gave order to, and shaping to his life, and the world was the one to come. He was a stranger. Have you ever been to a party or to a, any, any activity where you're kind of the last one in the door and there's a bunch of people sitting around and all the chairs are taken up and you walk into the door and someone jumps up and says, here, take my seat, here, here take my seat? And that's happened to me on different occasions and, I, and, and a lot of times I'm just, like at graduation parties, a lot of times there's so many of them that we're going to that we're just sort of walking in, attending this one, moving on to the next one, to the next one, and sitting down isn't a part of what we're trying to do. And so we'll walk in, someone says, here, here, sit down, Dave, sit down. Have your wife sit down. I say, no, no, I'm not going to sit. I don't want to stay. Right? I'm not here to stay. And, and what the person is doing, they're offering me comfort. And I'm refusing the comfort and saying, no, because I'm not here to stay. That's exactly what Moses is saying. He was offered comfort, and Moses is saying, no, 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 I'm not going to take that, because that's not what I'm all about. I'm not here to stay. I'm here to move through. I'm here with a focus on a coming world, and it's not this world. I'm just here to use what's here as an instrument to better prepare my existence in the coming world and to better prepare the, the existence of others in the coming world. I'm not here to stay, he is saying. And Peter, Peter, among others, says this exact same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Do God's elect strangers in the world. That's what we are called to be, strangers in the world. We should not fit. And when we approach Christmas time, we ought to be feeling somewhat uncomfortable with what is happening in the world around us. Because there is so much activity, there is so much energy, there is so much uh, interchange going on all around us and so much talk and, and, and adjusting of television programs. But the very purpose of the birth of Jesus Christ is somehow missed, obviously, by the world as we move into this intense time of consumerism. You say, well, Dave... How does the world make us good consumers? In every way that it can. Every way that it can possibly do so, our culture that is not led by Jesus Christ but by Satan, the cosmos that is under the rule of another kingdom and not God right now, takes every opportunity, every instrument at its disposal to mold your mind and my mind according to its dominant worldview and away from Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, when you go to a movie, what is the dominant world in life view that is being promoted? When you pick up a magazine, what is the dominant world in life view that is being promoted? 
when you read a book, when you, when you just go out and hear conversations, when you watch television, what is the dominant world and life view that is being promoted? Those are all instruments of Satan and of the world to mold your mind, to capture you, because your mind is the goal. And with the captivity of your mind, then Satan allows, makes you an instrument of his kingdom and not of God's. That's what it's all about. Again, consumerism is, is so, so deadly. When we allow ourselves to think that life is all about getting. And you know the thing that really challenges us, and this is why I wanted to introduce, before we got to the Q&A this morning, is that as a college, we're constantly trying to balance the calling upon God, the calling of God upon us as faculty and as staff and as administrators to perform with excellence and to do everything that we do diligently and, and fervently and, and, and as best as we possibly can and balance that against an equal desire and that is to not mold you into some sort of Christian consumer so that you plop down, as one person wrote me a letter not too long ago, a student, listen, I pay my tuition, I ought to get this. And I thought, well, that, that makes sense. I mean, that makes sense in our dominant culture because that's exactly what a consumer thinks. I do this, I deserve this back. And gang, while we do as a staff and faculty have all of the calling upon God upon our lives and we feel a great responsibility to do our jobs as best as we possibly can, somehow we've got to all fight against this idea of consumerism, even in chapel. Even in chapel, as we go to all this effort to plan a great chapel, it is so tempting. The reality is so much right there every time you sit down to think in the terms of a consumer, to think in terms of, okay, light me up. Okay, do something for me. I'm here. It's your time to perform. Do your job. And it's so easy for us to think that way and for you to think that way. Rather than to come into chapel and before chapel starts, to bow your head, to spend time in meditation before God and saying, look, I want to worship. And worship is giving. Worship is me offering something to God. It is not me sitting here passively and taking in. Do you understand? Or to even enter into a classroom and, to, and expect the, the faculty member to be the one who's there to, to do something for you and to expend as little energy as possible and to hopefully get as much as possible out of that, that minor type of expense. you understand what I'm saying? It is so, so tempting for us to think in those terms. So, well, that was an appropriate introduction because when it comes to Q&A, I thought, you know, the last thing I want to do is to fall into the mindset of teaching the students to be consumers. We want to do our job, and if there's something that we're not doing that is somehow standing outside the mission of Christ upon this college, man, we want to talk about it, pray about it, take it seriously, and respond to it. But if somebody stands up and says, Dave, you're not, you know, you're not making donuts right, and I'm saying, but guys, that's not what a college is all about, to make donuts. This college is all about making you into a servant, making you into a disciple, and helping you learn what it means to be a stranger in the world that we live in. That's what we're all about. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Class? Yes? Okay. Now, if there's any, any question, with that in mind, there, there were many, many things, comments observations that you made that we've distilled down now to a, a little study that is going 
back into the hands of our, of our faculty and staff and administrators. Um, and we're looking at all this. And I thought it would be fair. If you don't have any questions, if you're just saying no, we're all happy and you're doing a wonderful job, then we can pray and be dismissed. And, uh, and I'll thank you for that. But if there is any kind of question that you would like to ask, do so. I would like to just be able to, to be able to respond. Anything. Philosophical question, practical question that you might have. This is your time to, to ask it. Yes, sir. Well, could you give me your name? Could I ask you to come down to the... I'm sorry, Mike. To the mic. Mike? <laughs> sorry. I, I can't hear you, and so I, I, I'm probably thinking that others can as well. Just tell us who you are again. Okay. I'm Mike, so is this the mic? And uh, I just wanted to make a comment. You said that worship was uh, passive, that or we come here to offer something to God. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I see on the same side of the coin, we come here with the acknowledgement that we have nothing to offer God, that, that nothing but filthy rags, that we're sin. We're nothing but sinners. And uh, I think that should be expressed more and more. So we realize really who we are, nothing but sinners, and that God Almighty in his love chose... Lord willing, his people to, that's right. to go to heaven. Actually, that's, ex- that's exactly what I mean. What, what, what I'm saying is that what do we offer to God? Thanksgiving and praise. Amen. And why do we do that? Because we stand as helpless, weak, sinful people. And it's only because of the very grace of God that we are who we are. We are not worthy of his blessings. We are not worthy of this opportunity to do anything. And that's why the dominant characteristic of worship throughout the Old and New Testament is the, is the experience of praise. Lifting the hands and the hearts of God, saying, God, if it were not for you, I would be nothing. All things come from you. All good gifts come down from God, from heaven. So uh, we're agreeing, I think, perfectly. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to fine-tune that. Good. Other? Any other? Come on. You had, a good, you had a lot of great stuff. Here, here comes somebody from here. It's all up. No one at this microphone? Go ahead. This is my last week in school, so I can risk this question, I figure. Okay. (laughs) I've been here two and a half years. I transferred it from Indiana University. And uh, in two and a half years, there's never been a chapel series or a sermon on God himself, or Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, I believe, until two weeks ago when the Artie of Slight uh, preached a sermon on that. Now, not only is that a tragedy, but no one here even notices it. And I say in all love and respect to you, why? Well, my response to that would be, um, I don't agree. My response to that would be that I, I can't keep in my mind a catalog. I guess I could ask one of the guys to bring up the series. I think I know what you're driving at. We have not done, I think it's been three years since we actually have done a specific series on the character of God, the attributes of God. In fact, I think we started a, a chapel uh, the entire year, three years ago in the fall, on the series on the attributes of God. John did holiness, somebody else did justice, somebody else did wrath. Um, so while we have not done a specific series titled God, I believe that just about every message that we have had here is somehow calling us to a greater understanding of who God is 
and of what God's calling is upon our life. Now, obviously, we don't. There's something going on with you and your observation. I'd love to love to talk to you about it because there is no question that that is our desire in chapel, as it is our desire at the Master's College, for all of us to grow in our understanding of who God is, and that is the goal of chapel. Um, so I would love to talk to you later about what it is that you're feeling there and how it is that somehow, as we sit and we plan chapel, and as I hear the speakers stand up and John stand up, uh, when John stood up and started the school year this year on the series on fellowship, I w- my response to that would be that whole series was on God because he talked about grace. He talked about what fellowship is. He talked about what it meant to stand inside of Christ and to be united with him and, and what all of that means as far as our fellowship and it, I learned a lot about God in that series. It wasn't called God. It was called fellowship. But I learned an awful lot about who God is and his character. And that's, that's the commitment of chapel. Yes? If, uh, I don't have really a question like big theological or philosophical. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you asked that question. Question. I just what the, um, the direction of the school is in the near, you know, the, a midterm or a, a middle goal of just the last next couple of years. What are we looking for in the school? What, what are we expanding to? Are we going to continue to grow in a school? Are we building more dorms? I mean, just yeah. stuff like that. What On the administration side, what are we looking for? What are we trying to be? Well, there's a lot of different ways to, to respond to that. Let me respond to it from the, a, um, a capital development perspective. Um, we are already in the process of, of evaluating the purchase and the, and the retrofitting of Grace Baptist Church. When that all happens, we have a committee in place that is already functioning, uh, that is already uh, coming up with a strategy to raise the money to purchase that building and as well as purchase the building to retrofit it. In other words, to go in and, and, and rearrange the uh, facility for us to have a chapel over there, uh, for us to have a, a, uh, an arts center over there, for us to have a theater over there. Um, it'll all be one big room and we also will have the classes, some of the departments will be over there. And so that's in, that's in operation right now. Um, we believe that is a master plan um, we're going to hold the Newhall campus, this campus, to 1,200 students. And we don't want to go beyond that. And the reason we don't want to go beyond that is that the dynamic of, of servanthood, discipleship, and all of the stuff that I've already shared, as well as other things that are very dear to us in our mission statement, um, somehow there's a critical mass there where if you get too large, we'll start losing the dynamic of discipleship. We'll, get too, we'll start becoming less personal than we feel that we ought to be with students to faculty and, and students to staff. And so 1,200 is the maximum on this campus. To get there, we need to do two things. We need to purchase that facility and retrofit it for classroom space, chapel, art center, and a theater. And we also need to build one more new one dormitory. Um, we've already been uh, we've already had approved the plans for that new dormitory. It sort of looks like a it's on the back side of the hill. It sort of looks like a big butterfly. It's a three-story facility with a three-story common lounge with its own pool. Uh, it'll be about a 350-bed dorm. Um, a gal's wings and a guy's wing with a common common lounge. So those, from that standpoint, um, that is going on. In addition to that, um, we are what? Will the pool be heated? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Do what? Turn that mic off. Will you? What? I don't want to. No. I'm sorry. Would you like to respond? Yeah. I was just, I have a question. Okay. Uh, the, other things, the other things that we're doing that Dr. Stead and his staff are doing is that we're constantly um, continuing to look at uh, the element of, of um, 
of education overseas, making that more and more a part of our program here so that we can have more and more of our students spending time one semester in a foreign campus or in a foreign country as a part of their academics. Can you explain the Jerusalem project we have going with the TMC in Jerusalem? I know that's a, I don't know if it's a rumor, it's not really a rumor, I know it's true. No, there's a, what we're doing is that we're, we're moving in the direction, um, have been for the last several weeks, months, of uh, actually having our own facility and our own staff over in Israel, and it will be our school, it will be our staff, uh, it will be our program, our facility, where we will be able to send up to, I think it's 40, the goal would be up to 40 students a semester. Uh, into, uh, to Israel to study under our faculty. We would have some permanent faculty, but then we would send some of our faculty from here there for short periods of time. And yes, that is true, and we're in the process of, of working on that right now. The heating, I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, Give me your name again. Mark Ragg. Mark? I've been a Christian for a little while now, and uh, I've heard a lot about tongues. A lot of charismatics have come up to me. Um, asked me about tongues and the whole issues himself. Uh, I'm going on a presupposition here that tongues is no longer is ceased. Um, can you explain to me when it ceased, why, if that is your presupposition? Well, you know, John's written a book on that whole subject. Um, <laughs> I will answer it this way, that, that we... Um, if you were to organize our campus and put all the people on our campus inside of... of three concentric circles, like a target. Um, in the very inner circle are the doctrines of Christ, the doctrines of Scripture, those that we believe are the non-negotiables. Those are the doctrines that you must sign off on if you're, even, if you're to be a, a faculty member, a staff member, a cabinet member here at the Master's College. Um, and if you're going to be a student at the Master's College, all of us have agreement on those fundamental doctrines. There's a second concentric circle where there are important things to us as a, as, an, as a tradition, as a part of a church tradition. And this college is a part of a particular church tradition that grows out of the Reformation, that grows out of Puritanism. Um, we, are, we find ourselves, though not a part of a denomination, we find ourselves standing squarely within a particular church tradition. Um, and so, in that second concentric circle, there are certain beliefs that we draw out of the Word of God that we hold to as a part of that tradition. Uh, our... Uh, eschatology is in that. Our view of tongues happens to fall in that. Our view of, um, of um, some other things, I can't think of others right off the top of my head, that falls within that circle. As a faculty member and a cabinet member and some staff members all have to be on agreement in that second circle. Um, there are some staff positions where there is an agreement, but as a student, there isn't total, we don't demand or call for agreement in the application process. Uh, we didn't really ask you when you came through the process of admissions whether or not you're post-mill, pre-mill, if you're some sort of pre-wrap, something or another. Um, we didn't ask you where you were from an eschatological standpoint. It's not that that's not important to us. It's that we believe that you can know Jesus Christ, be a child of the kingdom, and fellowship with us in many ways, and yet not agree with us on that issue. And tongues is one of that. We, at the college, accept students who differ with us on the issue of the signed gifts. Uh, we have several students here that, that differ with us. However, as a college, that is not where we are. We believe that the scriptures would say that the, the, uh, the use of sign gifts was for a specific period of time. It was to validate the start of the church, the change of economy, moving it from Israel to the body of Christ. And because that period of validation has ceased, we do not believe that the sign gifts are, no, are any longer relevant. Yeah, that, that last bit is what I wanted to Okay, know. good.
You can tell you can tell I've been schooled by John MacArthur on my Q and A. Just just it doesn't matter if you answer the question, just talk a long time. Yes. I'd like to ask you in terms of scholarships, um, a little bit about athletic scholarships and even non athletic scholarships. Um, it's rumored, at least that I've heard and several other people have, that the um, that you're changing it this year and it's going on need-based and not academic. Can you clarify and explain okay. a little bit? Yeah, you know, there were several. That's a great question. I'm, I am so thankful that you brought that up. Because um, several of you brought that up on the survey. Um, that, that, that relate to that question specifically, scholarships and other questions that were sort of similar. Um, one, for instance, many of you, I don't know if I should use the word many, but there were, there were several comments on the, the issue of admissions for an athlete. And I thought that was a legitimate question and something that, that um, I think we ought to be able to answer. And it's a very simple answer, and that is there is no such thing as a separate process of admissions for athletes as opposed to non-athletes. It does not exist. It does not happen. Um, and if anything, we go, honestly, as a person who has a staff member sitting on the admissions committee, uh, in order for a student to come to the master's college, someone from the faculty actually more than one person from the faculty and someone from my staff has to sign off on the application from both an academic standpoint and a spiritual standpoint. There are no coaches involved in that process because we understand, as Bill Oates understands, the, the obvious conflict of interest. And so the process that athletes go through is the exact same process that everyone else goes through. There is no difference, none whatsoever. They face the same committee, the same questions, and what have you. It is true that among the athletes, we end up sometimes with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. That is not because we compromise. It is just because of the reality of spiritual life, because it's also true, in a very similar proportion, that among non-athletes, we end up with non-Christians. In fact, this semester, someone on my staff has led at least five people to the Lord this semester, and to my knowledge, I don't think any of them were athletes. Were any of them athletes, maybe? One? I don't remember. I don't think any of them were. They were all non-athletes. Well, how did that happen? Well, we're not admitting. The admissions committee and the admissions department, Dr. Wismer and his staff, they have no desire to see anyone come to this college other than those who know Jesus Christ in a saving way. However, you know as well as I do that there's only so much that we can understand about each other spiritually. And it happens to be that while the testimony looks great, sometimes people come in and don't know the Lord. True of athletes and non-athletes. So that's issue number one. There is no such dual process, and I need you to know that. We do not make exceptions to the athletic department on the basis of academics or spirituality. Not at all. We don't treat them worse-er, as my grandmother would say. Not, we don't treat them worse-er. We treat them the same, the same as you, if you're a non-athlete. Secondly, the issue of scholarships. Um, that has been something in the last couple of years that we have tried to, to arrange in different ways, not out of some sort of... Um, greater commitment to academics or than to the rest of the campus or a greater commitment to athletics than to academics is trying to say, this is who we are. How can we be faithful in the financial aid way and department to promoting and sustaining who we want to be as a campus? And we have, we have changed several things around. Last year, because of the, the counsel that we received from experts around the country, we thought we had too, many, too much money in the merit category of financial aid. We moved more into the need. We think we went maybe a little too far, and so this coming year we're going to move more into the category of merit so that we're going to offer, Dr. Wismer has submitted a budget that offers more money for academic scholarships, that offers more money on the basis of merit. Um, and, 
And all we're trying to do is to be faithful to that sum of money that we have to bring the largest amount of students that fit who we are to the Master's College, right? And that's what it's all about. And so you just need to know that we are trying to make adjustments. And this coming year, Dr. Wisner has put a, a, a lot more money into the merit academic scholarship side. Okay? Yes. Angie? Um, I have a question about how we as a student body have the opportunity to stay um, up on current events. Specifically, our television has disappeared, and we're just wondering what could be done about that to help us stay up in a timely fashion. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, let's Listen to that noble response that you gave yourselves. I mean, when the TV was going on, I went to the student center. It was always athletic games and MTV. I mean, what are, what are you saying? Come on. You're going to watch CNN, right? That's what your birth... Come on. Now, let me, let me say that other than that jesting response on my part, let me say this, that it is... That's a very great question. It is a... If we're going to be agents of change in God's kingdom, we believe that we need to come apart for a set amount of time to get equipped for that. The challenge is, how do you be in the world and not of the world? At a Christian college, we're very good at not being of the world, but it is a challenge for us to be in the world. That has been a, a tension that the church has faced from the beginning of time. And Christ calls us to both of those. And, um, and I think that's a great, great comment. I think that maybe we need to look at the issue of the television. How can we get news... I know we were talking with Joe Miller about on our missions moment, rather than doing foreign missions, to do something that would address something going on in our world right now, uh, that's a, a current event type thing that we'd use in chapel. Um, that's, a great, that's a great comment, and it's something that we need to, we need to do a better job at. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. Yes, last question. I too am in my last week here at the Masters. You are? Anthony Kazubel. Okay, I need, I need to know that. Okay, that's just, no problem. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I, along with Brett, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and risk a topic here. Okay. Um, and it's because many people have come to me with great disparage about it. Okay. It's concerning discipleship. I realize that it's a vital, vital ministry within the body of Christ. But in all honesty, sir, there is great misconception and great misunderstanding about what it really is. For the record, could you state for this student body what it is, and how it's supposed to work within the student body. Okay, let me start by giving you, what's well, a big question, let me start by giving you the, what we believe is the goal of discipleship and how we flesh it out here at the Master's College. When we talk about the distinctive, dependency upon God, when we talk about the issue of integrity, in other words, that spirituality is an inside-out change, when we talk about the issue of community, that we are an active part of the body of Christ, calling each other to holiness and righteousness, and through rebuke and through counsel, through encouragement. And when we talk about the distinctive of ministry, being involved in the, in the ministry of the local church and, in, and having a burden and involvement in foreign missions, that is really, that describes, that describes spiritually the product that we're after, if you will, here at the Master's College. When a student walks across the platform, we want the student to understand in a greater way, because of their time here at the college, what it means to be involved in real, living vibrant worship, what it means to have their life ordered by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, dependent living, in other words, to live a life that trusts in God, not trusts in self, things, or others. That's dependency. We want their life to, to be focused on the heart so that they understand that it's not the outer man that is, that is the key of life, 
and that religious ceremony, as, as important as it is as an outgrowth of spirituality, does not in and of itself define spirituality. And that's why we talk about the distinctive of integrity. It is the heart. And, and it, that's a challenge at a college because you know and I know that we have a policy book where we call you to certain standards outwardly. And that's fine. There's no inconsistency there because legalism doesn't mean that we, that we have rules. That's not what legalism is. Legalism is the belief that somehow abiding by a rule gains me favor with God and with men. Well, I'm not confused by that. Whether you as a guy wear an earring or not, it's not going to gain you in and of itself favor with God or favor with men. That's not the point of the policy. It has everything to do with the tradition, the identity that we are as a college. And that is something that we have chosen as a staff and that we have a responsibility before the board for. And so... We are constantly trying to remind ourselves that legalism isn't a matter of policy. Legalism is the view of policy. And I'm not confused by that. John MacArthur is not confused by that. Our faculty are not confused by that. And that's why we have to keep reminding ourselves that you can come into chapel and I can come into chapel and go through all the religious ceremony, be in complete conformity to all codes on this campus and internally be, rot be a rotten person spiritually. That's why integrity is a distinctive. The other is the issue of community. Why do we not increase the razor wire and the dogs and the cameras and all that in the dorm? Because we believe that the commitment needs to be use a student calling other students to righteousness. That's what community is about. That you do it. That's why no student can, none of you can come into my office or any other person's office on this campus and dump a person's name on us and walk out and expect us to pursue the issue of sin. We will help you do it and fulfill your biblical responsibility just like I need to do that with people in my life. And that's why community is a distinctive. In, in ministry, we don't do missions moment just to do it because it's a clever marketing tool. We believe the Word of God calls us to that kind of global view. Well, when you graduate as a student, that's, what we're, that's the product. Now, discipleship, that's the goal of discipleship. The process of discipleship, I can boil it down to two things, very simply. It happens in a large group setting and it happens in a small setting, a life-on-life, one-on-one setting. Discipleship cannot occur without large group involvement in study and understanding and worship and focusing around Christ and the Word of God. That's why chapel is so central to us. And it can't happen without our classes being led by people who model Christ-likeness and who lace biblical, eternal truth in and out of whatever it is that they're teaching in their particular subject. And so discipleship is a big group dynamic. We could not move people to those four things, which in essence describe Christ's likeness, unless we have chapel, unless we have the people leading our classrooms that we have. So obviously, m mentoring or modeling is a big part of discipleship. The other part of discipleship is one-on-one. -on -one. You watch me do it. I, I watch you do it. You do it on your own. And then now you grab someone else and they watch you do it. You watch them do it, then that person grabs someone else, and on and on it goes. Just why Paul told Timothy, commit these things to faithful men who will in turn commit them to someone else. And so the process of discipleship or reproduction of the character of Christ goes on and on and on through life on life in large group setting. Um, we're going to have to stand and dismiss. I'd like to talk to you afterwards. Let's stand and pray. It's 11.30. Part of discipleship is getting done on time, and I want to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us and your patience for us. And Lord, we know individually and corporately we are certainly nowhere near perfection or Christ-likeness or the level of holiness that we would desire. But yet that is the standard. You call us to holiness.
And Lord, help us to be faithful in the coming weeks as our minds are constantly being bombarded with everything that is outside of the kingdom and, and is a, an affront to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us fill our minds with, with good things, wholesome things, truthful things, Christ-like things. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.